Let's continue playing the Bengals offseason narrative factor fiction game with some looks at some Bengals offensive linemen, what's going on with the safeties, and who's going to step up at running back. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine. We're joined once again by John Sheeran at John underscore underscore Sheeran on Twitter. You can find his work covering the Bengals, where he does an excellent job at A to Z Sports. And we're going to dive into a few more factor fiction ideas today, focused on some individual players and one position group or two for the Cincinnati Bengals that have some question marks around them in 2023 we're part of the lockdown podcast network here on lockdown bengals you can subscribe to the show on youtube or anywhere you get your podcast that makes it really easy to make us your first listen every day on your way to work or whenever you listen to your podcast we really appreciate all of you who are in that first listen club and the everydayers who didn't miss our previous episode of factor fiction with john sheeran or the two episodes last week with brian callahan we're, we're in prime off-season form here james with Many guests on the show this time of year, but let's get into today's episode of Factor Fiction, starting with with a broad question about the offensive line before we talk about some specifics, because I think we can talk about Orlando Brown. After you wrote about him last week, uh, John, he made some waves for some reason with with some comments about play styles of the quarterbacks he's blocked for uh, previously and, and who he's blocking for this year. You can talk about Jonah Williams and what we should expect from him on the right side. We can talk about Cordell Volson. But first, let's talk about whether or not we're buying for the third straight year or so that this is the best offensive line in the Zach Taylor era. Because I feel like this is a similar conversation with different faces. And I think more investment than we've seen. But for years, we've been asking the question, is this a year? Is this the year that the offensive line is going to do it? Fact or fiction, John, the Bengals' offensive line will be average or better in 2023. I'll go fact there because you put in average, and I feel like that's a nice hedge to, to kind of place on because it's all relative, right? When you had Riley Reef and Quinn Spain as established starters, you're thinking, oh, yeah, there's some stability here, which is just a damning indictment on what we considered quality offensive line play two years ago. And then it was last year when I think... I think everyone kind of assumed it was going to be the Dallas version of Lael Collins. And instead you got a 60 year old back version of Lael Collins at right tackle and in a little bit of regression from Jonah Williams as well. So you have at the very least and a slightly above average left tackle, at the very least slightly above average left tackle in Orlando Brown, you have some type of year two progression. We don't know how much of a progression of quarter Volson, but we might talk about him later. You have two solid starters in Ted Karras and Alex Kappa, and you have options at the very least at right tackle. You are you have somewhat confidence that Jonah Williams is going to transition there, and if he does, he's probably the favorite to start, and I think people should feel comfortable with that considering who he is as a player. But if Lyle Collins comes back completely healthy and he doesn't have any back flare-ups, he's probably going to be a good player too. 
I don't really know who Jackson Carmen is at this point. He could be pretty good. He could be pretty bad. It all depends on just how he does with a more extensive sample size than two and a half playoff games. So you at least have options that you're somewhat comfortable with at right tackle. And that's your biggest question mark because the other four positions are pretty solid and you like all the players there, which is more than you can say about the last two years. And considering the overall state of offensive line play a lot around the, the league, I have a hard time believing this is not in the top like 16, 20 offensive lines. I think the biggest offseason narrative around this team, at least fans wise has been Jonah Williams and trading him or he's trash or on the other side, people defending him. Let's go with the, he gave up 12 sacks. He was the worst tackle in the league. They should have just offloaded him during the draft when they had trade discussions and and rolled with Jackson Carmen and, and Lyle Collins or a draft pick or whatever. Obviously the draft didn't fall that way. What would you say to someone that would come up to you and at uh, at the grocery store and say, well, Jonah Williams was the worst tackle in the league last year. Why do you think that he, he can be competent at right tackle this season? Oh, man. Like, there's just so much with it because PFF is a blessing and a curse because it's a curse because people look at 13 sacks and they think it tells the whole story. And just all the factors that kind of play into that. If you look at the tackles who are graded similarly or allowed similar levels of pressure. Jonah Williams stands out like a sore thumb with the amount of sacks that he quote unquote allowed. If you go back and watch all those sacks, I think a a pretty objective person can say not all 13 were on him, but the big picture wise, like, yes, he wasn't as good as he was in 2020 or maybe even 2021. And that's a worthy discussion. The whole thing is, as soon as Orlando Brown was signed and then he requested a trade, the entire narrative of Jonah shifted because in all likelihood, Orlando Brown doesn't sign here. He resigns for the Chiefs or he signs someplace else where he gets a deal that he wanted. This happened to be the universe where Orlando Brown took a $16 million deal with the Bengals and then Jonah Williams is just left up in the air. If Jonah Williams is at left tackle, I promise you, you want to have Yoho's walking up to you in the grocery store saying Jonah Williams is a terrible left tackle. You know why? Because he's the Bengals starting left tackle. And that's not how the, the discussion works. They just happened to find an upgrade because an upgrade came up to them and said, hey, I want to be here and I want to do whatever it takes to, to make that happen. The Bengals being the organization that they were, they're not going to turn down Orlando Brown wanting to be here for significantly less than he was projected to get in the open market. So they made that happen. And that's how the Jonah Williams whole narrative kind of started because he's not as good as, as Orlando Brown. We can pick apart Orlando Brown's game all we want, but Jonah Williams isn't as good as him. And there are certain weaknesses that he has that Orlando Brown necessarily doesn't. So, yes, Jonah Williams is at best probably an average tackle in the NFL. There's still definite value to that, especially considering, again, the average level of offensive line play is so much more valuable than the average level of pretty much every other position aside from maybe quarterback just because you don't it's not that easy to find average offensive linemen and when you have one who's under contract for probably less than market value you should probably value that and especially considering again there's enough of a sample size to say that Jonah can perform better than what he was in 2022 sacks be damned so there's just a lot of nuance that's just been missed and I think a lot of it just is because Orlando Brown was brought in to be an upgrade at the position and then the black and white you know, binary vision of that is, oh, the Jonah Williams must be trash. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for small businesses. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available 
And that's why you should check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Simple tools, screening questions, make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experiences so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's kind of like draft season. When the Bengals go through all these interviews and they do all this research to find the right character guys that have the right talent, you can do the same with LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I think there's a, a true statement that Jonah Williams needs to be better. Right. I expected yeah. him to take a leap last year. He did not take that leap. I expected that maturation or process, the experience in the NFL for, for things to click for him a little bit. Didn't happen. He, he had one of his worst pass block win rate seasons for whatever stock you put into pass block win rate. In fact, according to ESPN, Seth Walter in the post they made on Thursday last week, ranking NFL rosters, Jonah Williams has apparently never had an above average or an average pass block win rate for tackle, which just speaks to how hard it is to find quote unquote average play, because this is a true average, um, not, not a NFL fan definition of average, which is probably truly above average, right? Because what we think of as average tackle play is probably pretty good tackle play when we talk about heuristics that fans use, but let's talk, a little bit more about Orlando Brown. You wrote about this last week. He talked about the difference in drop back depth between Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, which Bengals fans took to mean something that's good football analysis, which it is at some level, certainly probably at the majority of levels and, and chiefs fans saw it and took it as a slight to Patrick Mahomes took it as well, you're a turnstile. That's why you had to drop so deep, Orlando Brown. What What were your big thoughts around that story? Oh, man. Because I think someone said that, yeah, like because Mahomes is better at evading sacks, he's easy to protect, which is just a complete backwards statement because Mahomes is a wizard at evading pressures and evading sacks. Like that's one of his absolute strengths. And the fact that he can drop back on average significantly more like a deeper drop back compared to the average quarterback and still create positive plays as consistent as he does. It's one of the many reasons why he's the best quarterback I've ever seen in my own two eyes. But the idea that, Oh, he doesn't get sacked as much means he's easier to protect. It completely ignores who's protecting him and how those pressures kind of arise. Orlando Brown was great. I think at 76 as a pass protector for PFF. And it's always been around those mid seventies. And yet he led the league and pressures allowed kind of tells you, Maybe there's some context about how those pressures kind of arise if you are consistently having these vertical sets because your quarterback is consistently taking seven, nine-step drops and it's drifting back into the pocket. It's kind of an easier angle for the edge rusher to, to kind of get around you. And if that also happens to be your weakness as a pass protector, not many weaknesses, but well, you know, speed around the edge is one of Orlando Brown's shortcomings it makes it kind of harder. And that's where those hurries kind of come from. Now, mind you, those was like 58 pressures that Orlando Brown gave up. I think 44, 45 were just hurries and he only gave up like four sacks. So there's more context with where that grade comes from. But yes, when you have Joe Burrow, who does also drift sometimes, like I think that the Tampa Bay play kind of came to mind on the fourth down where he dropped back like 30 yards or something. It does happen from time to time. Every quarterback does it from time to time. Joe Burrow exactly. is very good at managing where he is in the pocket most of the time. If anything, he might stay too tight to the to the line sometimes, I would say. 
Yeah, and and also like I think Burrow kind of had this tendency of recognizing pressure to his right and maybe drifting a little bit to the left, which is also where some of those sacks with Jonah Williams kind of came about. But it's definitely different protecting for Burrow compared to Mahomes. Just like you just look at their pocket mechanics, you look at their awareness in the pocket, and the fact that Burrow on average gets the ball quicker than Mahomes. So if you get the same level of play from Orlando Brown in the Bengals offense, which it'll change a little bit, but the the base, the foundation of the offense is still pretty quick hitting like you'll you'll get better production out of Orlando Brown and that means it's just kind of easier to protect in this offense Cordell Volson the narrative that he is who he is because he's entered the league at 24 years old and was part of the the COVID years and played six years or whatever it was at North Dakota State fact or fiction that that Volson isn't going to take a step this year uh isn't I, I probably isn't fiction yeah um just be just because it's natural for that to happen how big of a step is the question? And I, I, I buy in the fact that like the experience that he had coming into the NFL helps um, just the, that general knowledge that he had. And the fact that he started his entire rookie season, like that definitely helps. There's questions of athleticism. There's questions of technique and all those, like the latter can definitely improve. Like, I think he, he is who he is as an athlete for the most part. And I know that, like Ted Karras mentioned that, you know, I didn't really grow into myself until like I was like 28 or something. And obviously, yeah. you know, the more you play, the slower the game kind of goes. And that's you notice that biggest jump in year two. But there's also a reason why he was drafted in the fourth round. And I think part of that was strength of schedule. Part of that was some shortcomings in terms of his athleticism and whatnot. So that that just is a more underrated aspect that people don't really look at with offensive line play. Like Orlando Brown is the biggest outlier in the world because he couldn't test even like a below average athlete and he's made a good career out of it. I don't think Volson would have dropped as far as he did if he, if he was like an elite athlete and it helps you out when you're in more condensed spaces and it'll, it'll definitely make a difference if his technique improves because he missed a lot with his hands and he kind of got away with it because he's on the bigger side of, in terms of size and, yeah, maybe that's where that jump happens. But am I expecting like him to be in Pro Bowl conversation? Absolutely not. But quality starter, yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I think that for me, a lot of where it comes from is that athletic development part of it. How, how much better can he get athletically? He's reportedly a little bit bigger. That should help. There's also the in his favor position change part of this. If he's more comfortable there, the the rookie wall part of this. Uh, where he played a ton of snaps last year. These are things that are in his favor, where taking care of his body the way that you need to do so in the NFL to make it through the season at a high level, getting used to that position, getting used to the offense and, and schematic changes that you're thrust into as a rookie. These are all things that are in his favor, I think, certainly for a step in year two. Another position with a great deal of change this offseason is the safeties to a lesser extent, the cornerbacks there's a little bit of change in the cornerback room as well, but two new starting safeties, or this is three new starting safeties. Let's talk about the safety position coming up next. All right, John, let's dive into this secondary fact or fiction. The Bengals safeties are doomed with Dax Hill, Nick Scott and Jordan battle and no Jesse Bates and Von Bell. Not doomed. That's fiction. Um, <laughs> I think we all love Dax, right? Like it, it was such a weird year for him last year, but like the flashes in preseason, I think were more than just 
him facing backup quarterbacks, which definitely helps because he's at times, he's probably one of the most talented players on the field last August. And that definitely showed, but like there were definitely flashes of him playing deep coverages in Michigan that he just didn't do it that often in his last year there. Cause he was mainly in that star position in, in the nickel, but he's, I think he's very comfortable playing in space and playing those deep zones. And the fact that he can just do a little bit of everything, like that's the biggest thing, right? The fact that you have more significantly more versatility at that spot because everyone loved Bates and Bell, but they were pretty much locked into their roles. And when you had Von Bell kind of playing deep, it was kind of a weakness for the Bengals defense. And I think that was the biggest thing. Like if Jesse Bates leaves, like how, how is anyone going to fill that void? Because there's very few players that can be a true center field safety, even if that's not really where the NFL is going anymore. It's actually, I think we've officially reached like the, the quarters revolution. Like we're way past the Legion of Boom type defenses where Jesse Bates was like, uh, like a light version of Earl Thomas in that sense. We're now into the point where you might be showing cover one, cover three, but you're rotating into quarters and cover two and whatnot. It's a lot of post-snap rotations. It's what gets the Bengals kind of in, in warts offensively. Now they have the secondary to kind of do that and to kind of manipulate other quarterbacks because you can have Nick Scott as as your center fielder. You can have Dax Hill as your post safety. You can have Jordan Battle kind of come onto the field as like as, as a box guy who can then rotate back into like a half field coverage. You can have all these different options. And I think you're more confident in that because of who the defensive coordinator is. And as long as he has like a plan in place before the season, because he doesn't like to do all these midseason changes. That's why Dax, Dax Hill didn't get on the field as much as a rookie thing. As long as there's some type of sensible plan there to kind of get all these guys involved, I think you can have confidence that it's not going to be a liability at the very least. Fact or fiction, Jordan Battle becomes a starter sooner than later, or at least at some point, not due to injury in 2023. Or maybe he just keeps a job if an injury happens and he just steps in and, and doesn't let it go. What do you think? I, I want to say, say fiction. I feel like the hype with Battle is, is really high right now. It's maybe a good time to sell high because... I like Dick Scott. I think he can be pretty good for the Bengals this year. Like beyond this year, I don't really know what's going to happen with him just because there's definitely a great sense of confidence in battle becoming a starter sooner or later. And you're not really getting penalized by getting out of Nick Scott's contract. But Dax Hill is obviously not really leaving the field ever. Maybe a couple times a game to get both battle and Scott on the field in maybe very specific situations. But I can't imagine there's a lot of times where you won't see Dax Hill on the field. It really comes down to, just how comfortable does he look in camp in the preseason? Like Jordan Battle could have a Dax Hill like preseason at safety, and he's going to get all the reps in the world because he's number three in that rotation right now. And maybe that's what does it. But I, I think there's there's more to Nick Scott than we've probably seen. Like he only had one year of starting experience with the Rams, and that was another thing, right? Like Battle was a three or four year starter at Alabama with Nick Saban, and obviously it's very very rigorous for defensive backs at Alabama, and that definitely helps him coming into the NFL. But I'm not, I'm not ready to give up on Nick Scott. I think he makes it through the vast majority of the season as a starter. But obviously, injuries are always in play. And I think I think you're right, Jake. If that situation does arise, if Battle gets on the field as a starter because of a situation that one of the safeties couldn't control, maybe he just holds on to it because he, he does seem like a good player for sure. John, and, and this isn't really fact or fiction, but is there is there any concern in that cornerback room given how Cheeto continues to progress it seems like he's going to be ready Zach Taylor didn't want to say that but he's moving around really well and and hopefully he'll be cleared for camp and and can be on the field week one but outside of that the health of Cheeto are you concerned about the cornerback room at all 
Not really. Like, I guess they, they no longer have the Eli Apple um, safety net, which is kind of a wild statement yet. to make in general. Yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. Say, yet. 80, 89 players on the roster right now. I wonder who's no, no, number 90 is going to be. But I don't know. Like, it, it's too early to, like, I, I know Sidney Jones had an interception in camp, but I mean, he hasn't really shown that much in the last few years. I loved him coming out of college. I think a lot of people did. He had potential coming out of Washington, but I mean, that you're, you're, hoping at best for some type of Eli Apple, you know, renaissance with him. Other than that, it's Alan George. You have DJ Ivy who was making plays in minicamp, but he's again, a seventh round rookie. You're not really expecting that much from him. I, I think you are expecting a jump from Cam Taylor Britt. And I think there's more growth. Like obviously he played pretty well at times last year, but there were definitely areas that he definitely needed to improve. And I don't think we've really touched on that as much because of the flashes that he shows. So he can definitely be a more consistent player. And Cheeto is just like he's he's he is he is built different, honestly. Like we we talked about with Volson, like his mind is in the right place. Like I've never had any semblance of doubt that Cheeto was gonna get his mind right and get the best possible rehab because he like that that just matters for guys at that stage in his career. He's twenty eight, coming off a pretty significant injury, and that, that doesn't always work out for players in that position. It it's it's mainly just about keeping at it. And, uh, and having that, obviously, athleticism that he has, he just has everything that makes me confident that the injury is just a slight speed bump in the road for his career. I think he's going to be, at the very least, the same player that he was these past two years. He's an impressive player. He's an impressive athlete. He's also an impressive person, just from yeah. a, a personality trait perspective. The competitiveness is one thing, but also like a great sports sportsmanship. Sportsman, I don't know what the <laughs> right series of words there was supposed to be, but but really good sportsmanship that you see from Cheeto. And, and you see some of that even when he plays chess and you see that he's like how he's interacting with these other NFL players when he's in, in the annual Blitz Champs tournaments over at, at chess.com. And you, you see that mentality. I was waiting for that. I was wondering when you were going to mention it. We, we, so haven't, we, we haven't talked about it, have we? That was like Shocked. two weeks ago now. Cheeto didn't win this year. That's probably why we didn't talk. He lost to a Chief. Place. He lost the to a Chief. The rivalry continues. The rivalry has a new dimension. New chief, Drew Tranquil. Really good chess player. Let's finish up the show with the Bengals running game, guys, and what will transpire there. As this is a pass-first team, we all know that, but there are times that the running game matters and can certainly help you be a more efficient offense. The Bengals found efficiency in the running game last year, even if it didn't always feel that way. So we'll finish the show with a couple topics around the Bengals running game coming up next. John, fact or fiction, I'm a Joe Mixon hater. Fact. Fact. Wow. <laughs> Come on, guys. Seriously, comments are going to love that. Um, fact or fiction, Joe Mixon is the Bengals starting running back this season. Also fact. I don't know why he wouldn't be at this point. Like it, It's pretty much too late to really do anything. I'm not saying that as like, oh, shucks, but like the way that the offseason kind of worked out for them is P. Ryan left for Denver. It kind of left them with a conundrum. We can't really do anything with Mixon now that our other veteran has left the premises. There might be confidence in Travion Williams. There might be too much confidence in him from certain circles on Twitter, but he's not a viable starter, even though no matter how little you value the running back position, even I wouldn't want Travion Williams to start at running back. And then they drafted a fifth round guy instead of like a like. They obviously couldn't draft Jameer Gibbs in round one like James wanted, but I think the fact that they waited that long 
kind of signals Dang. that yeah you're you're willing to hold on to Mixon for another year. I, I don't know what like his leverages or what the Bengals leverages at this point. I don't know if there's going to be more conversations that happen with his future, but just with the way that the entire offseason worked out, there's probably a plan to move on from Mixon as had they kept on had they kept Pirine, but that didn't happen. And they kind of operated like, yeah, he's gonna be here, but there's other variables that are in play off the field that may or may not impact that. But with the way that everything has transpired, I see no reality where Mixon isn't starting for the Bengals this year. James fact or fiction, John Sheeran is a Travion Williams hater. Wow. <laughs> It might be fact, by the way. He just, he just, Professor Travion, Travion Williams. Williams. Yeah, Professor Travion Williams. How about this? Fact or fiction, the Bengals address running back between now and the start of the regular season. And I don't mean cut someone on their team. Hmm. There we go. <sighs> yeah, that's, that's a tough one, right? Dum, dum, because... dum, 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 dum. Yeah, that could be a fact. It could be. The number they'll, comes they'll down. Get, they'll give Chase Brown a ton of chances and reps in practice. And I think he looked okay so far in minicamp and whatnot so i I think there's confidence in him but yeah i I don't know that's something to think about the question is can they figure out who the third down back is can they figure out the passing down back a guy that they're gonna have confidence in pass blocking because samaj p ryan was that dude for them stepped into that big way fact or fiction joe mixon figures out pass protection in year six seven seven fiction Mm, yeah tough it's fiction anything it's else fiction. in the running game guys any other big takeaways you guys want to make sure you, you you spread to the people on the bengals running game fact or fiction they're a passing team in a in a passing league and their passing game is going to determine whether or not they make it to super bowl 58 i think we both know the answer to that james there we go I mean, with a, softball, John. That was a Come tough on. question. You're, tough you're question. supposed to knock it out like Joe Burrow during BP. See, that's what you're supposed to do. Joe Mixon will undoubtedly have two or three really good games this year, and I think he might have more because the offensive line's better. But yes, it matters what that $500 million quarterback is going to do. $500 million. million. How many years? $100 million a year. $100 million Still underpaid. I think that's a good signal that it's time to end the show. Joe Burrow, $100 million contract coming up. He's got that Sheeran money. That Sheeran money. That's what we call that. Which which Sheeran? The one that we have on right now. What yeah. are you talking about? How did we get you this guy? Incredible. You don't have your million own dollar hat. A year? Look at that hat. It's a great hat. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Again, you can find John on Twitter at John underscore underscore Sheeran. You can find his work at A to Z Sports, where he does a great job covering the Bengals. You can find his takes on these narratives in written form. Many of the things that we've talked about, he's written about. It's A to Z Sports, and you can find all of those articles there. Until next time, Bengals fans, happy 4th of July. Who day? And have a good one. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? 
Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.